0: Thank you for joining me for another episode in our 30 for Net Zero 30 podcast series where I've been speaking to climate action champions across the globe about real steps to take now to help achieve 2030 goals. Today I'm very pleased to be joined by Suvi Collin, legal counsel at Mandatum Life Insurance, who has extensive experience in sustainable financing and joins us, in fact, from the Nordic. So, Suvi, you are our first Nordic guest into the series. So, um, no pressure there, but but welcome. Um, And can you just give us a little background about yourself and your work, maybe, to start off?
1: Thank you, Anna-Marie, and thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, I'm a legal counsel at a a Finnish insurance and Asset Management Company Mandatum. My background is, is in law. I actually used to be a tax lawyer, And now for the past few years, the main focus area of my work has been EU sustainable financing legislative framework, which, as you all know, is is a quite extensive um, practice. So my key focus area has been the implementation of this legislation into mandatums business operations. Um, So in a nutshell, you could definitely say that the legislative side of sustainability is is my focus area and my, my main area of interest at the moment as well. So you're the you're the one at the at the coal face dealing with the
0: thousands of pages um, that are being published around the EU around sustainable finance. Um, so a great a great guest to have on our series. Can you tell us what have you been seeing last eighteen months or so? Or have you been seeing a shift uh, in sustainability, and if so, kind of where are you seeing that come from?
1: Yeah, I think we have definitely seen a tremendous shift in terms of how they discuss around sustainability and ESG matters altogether, um, So if ESG and sustainability used to be maybe a bit of marketing matter or a grant matter or a communications matter, um, especially at the finance sector, it has become more and more of a compliance matter. So like you said, it released thousands and thousands of pieces of legislation. Um, really covering all aspects of financial institutions' operations, from sales and marketing to investment decisions and disclosures. So it really is an extensive package. And it has really put sustainability in the forefront of, of our operations, at least, and I would say for all financial institutions. So it does have significant impact on the business as a whole. And you know what we are now seeing is the very first wave of this green tsunami, um, so in March was the deadline for the first level of implementation. What we are seeing um, a significant increase of legislation in the coming years. So that has definitely put um, put sustainability very much into focus of everything we do. For example, as a financial institution, also from the regulatory side.
0: Yeah, no, really good point. <laughs> Green tsunami. I like that expression. That's uh, that's a new one for me. And and. And maybe, you know, I think a lot of people talk about net zero goals. A lot of people talk about the EU regulations kind of in the broader sense. Um, But you're really implementing it like through the organization, which is, I think, a much more um, complicated process than people might have originally thought. I mean, can can you compare that against anything else, any other regulatory change projects that you've been doing in the past, and whether whether it's kind of more or less?
1: Yeah, that's actually a very good question, because I just compared to this piece of legislation, to AML legislation um, 10 years ago, which really also was, was a huge burden in a way, and also kind of changed um, the regulatory landscape there. But I actually think this is much more interesting because it is not only a compliance matter, is it? So, you know, we do have the compliance side and we have this kind of extensive piece of legislation which still has, I don't know, the communications aspect, the brand aspect, the strategic aspect. So it is not only a legislative exercise, even though it does also have kind of the compliance edge to it as well. Um, and that's kind of what makes it quite interesting is actually like who should be in kind of charge of the legislation and implementing it. It is definitely not only something you do from the compliance perspective, but it also does have a huge impact on the strategies of financial institutions and also kind of client-facing impact as well. Because what we are actually seeing is a quite a significant increase in client demand for green products.
0: So that's also one aspect to consider there as well. Fascinating. So, so one side is the regulatory kind of kind of push, maybe, and, and another is the investor interest. Um, I don't know which is the push and the pull on that one, but um, but very interesting to see how those two are interconnecting in, in what you do. Is there so maybe one 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 thing maybe one specific action or one one kind of um uh, type of approach that needs to um, happen, do you think, in the next couple of years to, to really uh, be a game changer around, you know, delivering on net zero and delivering sustainable finance?
1: Yeah, I think this is actually a very good question. And what I, in the big picture, what I think should happen is that we should learn how to put a price on the principal adverse impacts of different urban business operations. So, you know, in the legislation, we speak of the principal adverse impacts of the PAIs, which is kind of the key aspect of what we are evaluating going forward, is the different principal adverse impacts of our investments and target companies. Um, And what really should happen is is that we should learn to put a price on them. So, as you know, at the moment, there really isn't a way or any any legislation, for example, that would require companies to disclose their impact on sustainability and on, on, for example, climate goals. Many companies have done this, obviously voluntarily. They have seen as a maybe marketing matter, as a brand matter, for some other reason, have decided to do that. Usually the companies that are making progress there. But there really hasn't been any obligation to do that so far, which um, has maybe left a situation or resulted in a situation where the negative impacts of different business operations hasn't really been accounted for in the valuation of different companies so kind of my what what i think should happen is that companies should um, be obliged to disclose how they approach sustainability and different sustainability factors how they take them into accordance and what is really their impact on sustainability and then we as financial institutions can take that into accordance when we make the investments. And that's actually also kind of the key key piece that is missing from the regulatory puzzle as well. So like you were saying, we have this quite significant disclosure obligations towards our customers, but at the moment there really isn't any obligation on the underlying companies, even though that is where the real change um, needs to be made. So we really do need to see changes on the level of the companies And kind of my solution there would be mandatory reporting on sustainability factors, which there actually is a draft legislation pending at the moment. So let's just hope that that will kind of be ambitious enough to allow us to really make a change there and really account for the negative impacts of the different business operations. Of course, hopefully, would result in the companies that have less um, sustainability or less negative sustainability impacts their operational preconditions. My my <laughs> one key aspect that I would like to see in the upcoming months and years and what is missing um, in terms of who, who should do this, um, obviously in the European context, I do think it's the European legislator. Um, it should be a European wide right, um, kind of standardized disclosure or reporting obligation. But kind of the short answer would be footer price and the PAI.
0: Yeah, and a really live and interesting question right now, right? How do you price impact? And something that people, I think, from the kind of pure impact background have 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 been working on. I know there's a lot of industry groups trying to figure out, you know, how do you price the impact of something? Um, and then we have, of course, the, you know, SASB and, and and the accounting standards talking about whether or not you price it through an accounting Lens, and then you've got like disclosure, like TSD, which is which is a forward-looking type of assessment. All at the same time, I, a really interesting point, Suvi, and a very very important one um, in terms of getting businesses to really align on sustainable st- structures, really for their own business. Are you seeing any movement in terms of how people are approaching the, the these? Uh, requirements and these thoughts around sustainability between is it is it does it continue to just be a compliance aspect of business
1: yeah i think we have definitely seen quite a shift there so you know first coming from communications brand building then compliance and risk management and now it's more and more becoming a key strategic matter and really a way of value creation which really is the most fascinating part of the change so you have for example You know, ESG investing in the past used to be maybe excluding certain sensitive areas of business and really focusing on sustainability of climate risk. And now we are discussing more and more what is the investment opportunity here, um, how how to best tease that really kind of ESG is very much embedded in all investment decisions and integrated really in everything what we do, for example, and for example, in private equity. Um, One of the key aspects that we look into when making investments is the ESG factors of the different target companies and how to best create value there. So it's definitely becoming um, a key strategic element instead of a compliance matter or maybe something that is just added on top of the investment process. So now it's very much integrated in everything that is done. So that is definitely a key change that hasn't happened in the past 12 months maybe.
0: If I could uh, just ask you, uh, do do you have your own personal commitment to to any kind of net zero or any kind of uh, behavioral change over the next kind of 12 months, year and a half? Uh, Yeah,
1: I I actually, um, well, I have two. So I would divide this kind of a professional level and then on a more personal level. So kind of professional level, I have kind of now really focused on sustainability, uh, not only from the legal side, but also kind of the bigger picture Um, the investment side and really focusing my, my professional effort in, um, in really improving um, and being kind of still or continuing to be in the forefront of the change. Um, So that is really something that I have actually in the past year, maybe really, really really focused on and hope to do going forward even more so. Um, On a personal level, uh, I have, actually already two years ago made significant changes to my diet, which I think is actually the easiest way for many us many of us actually to to have an impact. Um, so I really did put kind of the environmental aspects of my diet into the very center of it. Um, and now I in mean, practice this has meant um excluding red meat and dairy and eating very moderate amounts of fish and chicken. Um, and then kind of the main basis of my diet is, is vegetable, so plant-based, but not completely vegan. Um, and I have actually been eating this way for the past two years. Um, so it has been very sustainable, also from the kind of planetary perspective, but also from, from a personal perspective. Um, and I have really felt great and have a ton of energy. So this is something I can really recommend for for everyone to to try. And maybe not go, you know, full on vegan, um, but just, you know, uh, make make tiny changes and and you know uh, tweak it along the way would be my recommendation.
0: Excellent. So 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 we can call you for recipes uh, on how to how to continue to to have variety that's, in your diet, huh?
1: Yeah, that's your legal tips and recipes.
0: <laughs> that's, a, that's a good combination, yeah. I guess. Last question for you. Um, you know, we did you did talk about uh, what role you think the regulator takes. But but is there a specific person or organization that you think, um, if they were listening in right now, that, that you'd ask them to to do or to, to some action to really deliver on this net zero?
1: Yeah, well, I, I would maybe like to address kind of all, all companies um, in, in terms of, I, I don't think this is something that any of us can do on ourselves. So it's very, very much a collaborative effort. Um, and I think all companies and all businesses should really pay attention to what they are doing and how it is done. Um, but even more to, to what is being provided and manufactured um, and how can it be done in a more sustainable and better way and really go through the supply chains and the end products and see where there is room for improvement. And I actually have one very practical tip Um, Also coming from the legislation, um, because we do have now the kind of principal adverse impact indicator list uh, provided by the European legislator, which actually really has a list of indicators, including, for example, CO2 emissions, um, uh, areas of business kind of located in biodiversity, sensitive areas in terms of biodiversity, um, board composition, a lot of different indicators. Um, that measure the sustainability impact of the companies. So what I would really do is kind of go through this list and really reflect the business and all business operations against that list and see which ones are the ones that are relevant for the business and where there may be room for improvement and what could be done. It really does provide for a very nice starting point, especially if this is something that maybe hasn't been considered that much before. So it is a very nice toolbox that can help with aligning the the business goals with the net zero targets. So that is definitely something that that can be done. And it's also very good because it's something that we as financial institutions will be implementing um, in the next, well, nine months, actually. So it's going to give you a bit of heads up there because it is very likely that you will receive these kind of questions from from us as well.
0: Excellent point, an excellent point. So I think key takeaway here um, is in your next planning session to sit down uh, um, around a table um, with the list of uh, principal adverse impact um, put out by the EU and really just talk about where that hits your company and and what you're doing around it so that when Suvi calls, um, you have the answers, (laughs) that uh, she can roll it up into her reporting as well. Um, Thanks so much for your time today, Suvi, and we really appreciate um, you sharing uh, the journey that you've, you've taken so far and, and the, the, the really practical tips um, f- to take away from this conversation. So appreciate your time.
1: Perfect. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you found it worthwhile. To learn more about the issues we've just covered, please visit ashurst.com forward slash podcasts. This 30 for Net Zero 30 episode is just one small part of our continuing podcast series, ESG Matters at Ashurst. Make sure you don't miss any of our future episodes by subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're there, you can also listen to our other episodes and leave a rating or review. In the meantime, thanks again for listening and goodbye for now.